A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hey guys, welcome to the Black Real Podcast. It's the first one in. My name is Damian. I'm sitting here with Kofi and Mary. Shout out, shout out. Thank you guys for joining me. Uh, we're the co-hosts of the Black Real Podcast. How you guys doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm nice, I'm nice, I'm nice. Um, Mary's your birth week. Yep. <laughs> How old are you now? 20 something. <laughs> Can't have always that information, but um, <laughs> and that's rude. You don't ask a woman how old she is. That's slightly true. Slightly true. Mary, how old are you? That's rude again. Mary, how old are you? So we've got swiftly. Like we said, welcome to the first Black Maria podcast. Um, so I guess important to kind of establish who are Black Maria. So I guess we'll just jump straight in. True. Um, guys, what is Black Maria? Them questions. Um, it's an organization at the moment. And it comes from the concept that we see in the scriptures of the Brian Jews who were commended for their nobility for being people who heard the word and went back to the words in their individual time to search out what was true from what they were hearing. Mm. And I guess the, the black in Black Berea, why are we attached to... Can we black, yo? <laughs> <laughs> in, case, in case you couldn't hear from uh, our speaking. Um, so um, I guess what, what, is, what, is the, what is the aim of Black Berea? Like what, what are we trying to do here? Mary, what are we trying to do? I think we're trying to engage um, our community and people around us who maybe are like us, um, whether they be Christians or atheists, but really speak to um, issues with a Christian worldview in hope to engage and bring truth. I just heard black, black, black. black. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, like similarly to what you said about the Bereans initially, what we want to do is try and encourage people to go back and search the scriptures, yeah. um, to unpack biblical truth for themselves, to not not be ashamed of, of, of having a sound faith in the veracity of the Bible, um, in its truth. And uh, we just, we, we hope that obviously in our discussions about contemporary issues, um, current affairs, things affecting our communities, some other communities, um, that we'll just be able to impart a, a Christian perspective and um, dare I say a black Christian perspective. Um, yeah, okay, yo, yo. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> You're so dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you Wait, so that, that yaga yoga is going <laughs> yeah, to kill me. Let it go, let it go. It's going to kill me. Um, Where are we at now? I guess the question to ask is, is there a rising anti-Christian sentiment in the black British community? Good question. Um... I think there is. I think I think for being honest, I think there is. I think one of the issues actually that has led to the situation has been um, some of the places that are sort of propounding false truths or at best shallow truths. And what that produces is shallow Christians who are in a position where they have to divorce intellect from emotion when they're thinking of their faith. Um, and at least situations where you're trying to defend your faith, and if it's based on purely emotion, mm. when someone comes to you with just facts, a bit of knowledge, you're going to crumble. And if that, that basis that you had was shallow in the first place, often leads to people falling away, um, often leads to be, people being susceptible to uh, other 
forms of knowledge that's out there. So I think that's happening and we're seeing it with different types of movement infiltrating into the church. Um, Mary, do you have any thoughts on the ones that you heard, ones that you've seen, ones that have approached you? I think there's um, almost a growing kind of sense in maybe people I know that, you know, Christianity is a good thing. It's, you know, it's, it's moral, it's right, but it's just not for them. Either maybe it's just, it's primitive or it's, it's doesn't relate to them. And there's other things that they'll rather cling on to. Right. Um, like the trap. <laughs> or the streets. Um, <laughs> and I think you see that a lot. So a lot of us who maybe grew up in churches where our parents were and they've almost encouraged us to stay we've grown up now we're now independent and now we've just felt like the church is though it's good it's great it's just not for us right they've almost left the church it kind of sounds like there's like a positive and negative aspect to this so like from Kofi's comments um in a sense where there are people who are positive about the church who are positive about mm. the scriptures mm. um but perhaps they're grounding in soundness might be some way a bit skewed. Um, yeah. And I, I guess, as a, as a preface to it, we're, we're not here to necessarily say that we are the most learned people, we know everything that there is in the Bible to know. Um, but what we want to do is encourage people to search the scriptures. Um, Humble dummy. But, <laughs> but there's, also that, there's also that negative aspect, I guess, when I, when I think about the question, like, about the rise in anti-Christian sentiment in a black community, because I think one of the things that we're seeing a bit more prevalently now is like the road, the rise of the, the woke people. Yeah. The, um, I'm woke. The, <laughs> I'm woke too, right? But I guess, I guess, I guess I say woke, I mean woke and antagonistic to Christianity. Okay. Right? So we've been to places and we've, I, I've seen um, um, certain groups where they'll be like, um, you know, no, the, the Bible's not real. It's, it's based off of all these other myths from the whole Tectons. Mm, yeah. Let's, re- let's um, reclaim our history, our African um, roots. Those kind of things. And yeah. while we're not saying, I guess, it's um, unimportant to know your heritage, mm. I guess you have to have a perspective of your heritage that aligns with, in our opinion, biblical truth. Yeah. Um, and so I guess it's important for us to be able to address that um, anti-Christian sentiment in our community um, because I don't know, I don't know if you guys feel like perhaps this is something that hasn't been addressed, potentially, maybe? From a British perspective, I don't think it has been addressed. Okay. I think what you often have is the gatekeepers of Christianity in a particular setting mm. will cater to uh, the particular challenges that are faced by the majority of people. Now, what we have in the UK is the gatekeepers of Christianity, and to a large degree, in terms of faithful evangelical Christianity, tend tend to be white um, and that means when they're dealing with issues they tend to focus on those issues that affect the majority in their congregations who also tend to be white mm. um, so that's that's not me throwing shade on anyone that's just saying I'm just saying that's how it is mm. um, and I think until we have more voices that are actually conscious of what's happening in, in other communities particularly the black communities um, who are on the pulpits then we won't have that I guess that apologetic given in uh, in a sound way that actually enables believers to fight the good fight. Mm. Um, so, in what way does Black Berea hope to to address some of these issues? Like, how will we be coming out to people? Where um, where will they be able to see like our content? Should I say? You got a podcast. Right. What other what other ways will be reaching out to people? I didn't get the script, guys. <laughs> Blackberea.com, which we're going to launch soon, mm. which will have articles and videos and 
and social commentary on a lot of things. Um, so we'll be discussing theology as well. Um, cultural issues for a biblical worldview. And mm. really just responding to the world around us. But I think we want to really hone into the UK, mm. especially. And then if we need to, go out to the world. Yeah, because I think, I think, like, I almost like aligned to what the two of you have said. There is a, I think there is a perspective, obviously, black Christians who try to engage life, culture, theology. But perhaps we in the UK import it from overseas, from the US, right? So some of our contemporaries across the Atlantic, I hope I'm right in saying the Atlantic, I'm not going to say it. Some of our contemporaries across the Atlantic, like very, very, very sound guys who are really doing a lot to address the culture. But I guess when you're looking at it from outside, It would be nice if you could have some people who've grown up in the same areas of you, who've had some similar experiences to you and can speak to some of the issues that are more pertinent to your um, community. True. So I guess that's why Blackberry as a kind of UK slash London initiative is important for not only us, but people around us and hopefully more, more broadly um, Christians in the UK. Yeah. What else? Um, articles so a few of us like writing uh, like to read our own voices um, <laughs> we'll, we'll be throwing out articles that will be dealing with a plethora of different types of topics mm. um, some high level some low level um, but hopefully things that just you know life, culture yeah. theology, bible yeah. um, things that I guess we're, we're all interested in and want to learn more about that help us all to be better Christians really Lord willing Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast so far. We really hope you're having a groovy time. We just want to tell you where you can connect with us on all our social media platforms. So we're on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash BlackBerea. Our hashtag there is BlackBereaPod. So please follow us, retweet, leave your comments, check the hashtag, any questions or feedback, you know, just leave it there. We really just want to hear what you guys think. We're on Facebook as well. We have a, a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash BlackBerea. We're on Instagram, which is instagram.com forward slash BlackBerea. And if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe and leave a review. We're going to be launching our website very soon, which will be blackberea.com. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast. So it's Black History Month in America, and uh, Kofi found this very interesting quote from Frederick Douglass, which goes, Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognise the widest possible difference. Now, that quote emanates from uh, the era of the transatlantic slave trade. We do see slavery addressed in the Bible. Um, so do you think that slavery is endorsed by the Bible? Not my Bible. <laughs> what's, um, your, what, what's your Bible? What's your Bible? What Bible, what Bible are you reading? Jake. No, it's not. It's not the same thing. I think what we've got to remember, uh, I mean, tackling this is, is quite a big topic, but what we've sure. got to remember first and foremost is when the Bible speaking of slavery, it's not speaking of it within the context of the transatlantic slave trade that comes afterwards. So we shouldn't, in just terms of a principle of Bible interpretation, we shouldn't read our... Uh, experience into the scriptures we should let the scriptures speak for what they're saying and find then after that how it applies to us um you know there, there, there's passages that speak of uh, people if they don't want to leave their master they can actually stay with their master i mean i i, I can't think of anyone going through the horrors of the be, being a slave in in the us the uk and so on who would have that same sort of idea in their mind to, to stay with their master um so it's yeah it's very different very very different and i think the Bible actually would speak against what we see in terms of the subjugation of the black race, the white race, 
um, in the slavery that we, we've seen in times past. Mm. Um, I think you make a good like point there just to, to preface it like the the types of slavery mm. are, are two different things but I think sometimes like when you get presented with some of these um, dare I say conundrums um, Christians can be on the defensive yeah. um, because when slavery is brought up uh, biblical statements about slavery they're like oh, and at people who are antagonistic to the Bible to mm. Christians will be like you know how can you support something that endorses this kind of thing mm. but I think rightly what you said is that um, biblical slavery and the transatlantic slave trade were were two distinct, I think, kind of things. I think it's 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 also important to important to establish that. I don't think that the Bible necessarily presents slavery as a positive good. Yeah. Right. As a desirable thing for for uh, people to be in. Like I think of. True. Sorry. I said true, true. Yeah. True. Um, so I think of things like um, Paul writing to Philemon about Onesimus, um, who he considered a brother, mm. um, and encouraged. Um, Philemon to free him as a brother um, and you also think about um, statements made in there from uh, from Paul to slave masters about the way in which they have to treat their slaves True. so I think what it is is not necessarily an actual endorsement of slavery or the transatlantic slave trade but I think what you kind of see is a framework um, of how slave masters slave owners are to treat their slaves given that they're in a fallen culture, um, as opposed to saying, oh, slavery is a good thing. We should continue on in this kind of practice. Um, so in that context, it's more, since it's happening, this is how it can happen, and you can still be consistent with Christianity. Absolutely. Um, and I think it does kind of open up questions, though, about, um, you know, do I say the genuineness of the Christianity Um because I think that's what kind of the tension that mm. Frederick Douglass is alluding to, it, yeah. to it, in his quote, you know. Is, is it really possible for Christians to also be... I'm not sure I understand. Siri doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Siri doesn't understand Frederick Douglass's question. But um, yeah, I think the tension that he's trying to... Shout out to the fourth <laughs> <of the> podcast. <laughs> I mean, the tension that he's trying to unpack is, is whether like, you know, you can genuinely be Christian... And have at that in that time have also owned a owned a slave or been a mm. slave master. Mm. Um, I don't think those two things are incompatible. I, I think we have to establish that. I think that's the issue because a lot of those who are antagonistic to Christianity they say that or they they even have they will kind of point out the fact that these slave masters and slave owners they would read these scriptures mm. about how they should behave mm. as opposed to tackling the issue of what they were doing was actually wrong. Mm. Right, right. So those kind of scriptures that encourage them to, to yeah. be submissive. So they'll use that against sure. them and to say, okay, we're treating you badly because the Bible has given us mm. uh, what, freedom to do so. One of the things I think, um, like Kofi alluded to the Old Testament, one of the things that we find that is clear from the Old Testament is things like the f- um, forbiddance, forbade. We can make it a word. We can make it a word. <laughs> <laughs> forbiddance of man-stealing. Yeah. So in Exodus 21, like it's, it's explicitly told that you you can't steal people. Um, so Oxford Dictionary, 2017. 2017, forbiddance. Man-stealing is illegal. Um, and so when you actually look at what happens, so I was watching Roots, um, the Roots remake on BBC this week. Um, sorry, as a side note, BBC, why was that on BBC 4? That should have been on BBC 1 slash BBC 2. That doesn't get views. That's, that's probably that's, only the only person that watched it. That is, 
It's, 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 I think it's necessary watching. That's crazy, though. I didn't watch it, you know. I'm feeling conviction. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. But sorry, besides the point. Um, so they, they do demonstrate how some of these people were either sold into slavery, sold into slavery, or just straight up kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, put on boats, put in chains. Um, one man was there speaking about how he'd been on chains in a boat for two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of things that the Bible definitely does endorse. Yeah. does mm-hmm. not endorse man-stealing. Um, I think, like I said, like what it does is it just it 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 offers us a framework of governance for should you find yourself um, in this position, should you find yourself um, a slave mm. or a slave owner, this is how you are to treat one another respectively, um, as opposed to permitting us to go out and make slaves of people um, in the way that they did so in the transatlantic slave trade. I think one of the earlier things that he said is quite actually, it's worthwhile, I think, you know, just just bringing up again, you're saying that you don't think it's incompatible being a slave master with actually being a Christian person. Mm. Now, for me, straight in my head, I'm thinking, man, that's crazy. That's like horrific. How can that be possible? But I think it's important to note that that speaks to the horrors of sin, like how a fallen a person can be, that they can actually treat someone like an animal. Um and see no wrong with it mm. and at the same time the wonders of grace that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient to blot out even that kind of sin even the darkest even the the, the, the most horrible to look at to think upon to experience um, and I think that's, that's, an, that's an important point to make when Christians are, are saying for example that you know some of these people some of these people were Christians you know some of them weren't but some of these people were Christians what we're saying is that we're not defending them for what they were doing but we're saying that our saviour is greater than the great sin mm. I mean, I think one of one of the do I say particular aspects of the transatlantic slave trade is the the racial element, mm. right? Um, to my mind, I can't think of um, scriptures where there was almost like a racial bias, which I think actually impacted the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. Shout out my Black- Jews. <laughs> um, Happy birthday, bro. <laughs> African people were seen as less than. Um, to many of these slaveholders, slave owners, or actually when Coffee spoke earlier about, you know, how uh, men could sell themselves into slavery, how their masters could treat them in such a way that they'd say, actually, I want to stay with you. Yeah. Um, to me, that doesn't present a, a, a tension as the transatlantic slavery does. Mm. But we're seeing that actually what impacts our man stealing, our human trafficking is the fact that actually you are a biologically inferior race to us and therefore we're going to put you to work in plantations and cotton fields and um, completely displace you from where you came and put you to work for us. So in in light of ongoing um, conversations about racial reconciliation Mm. in the church, do we think it's helpful, necessary, hurtful slash necessary um, for the church to acknowledge and repent of its complicity in the transatlantic slave trade? Again, it's quite a question but even if you just look at it from a particular perspective I had a question but I was just liking them words <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean should should the church apologise for the role that it played in the transatlantic Ooh. but they didn't do it though how do you mean they didn't do it but in terms of our day and age like 2017 right. do you want someone in Massachusetts for now but to just say okay I'm sorry for what we hysterically did when they personally didn't do it. Not even Massachusetts. I mean, here in London. Hammersmith. Okay, right. here in London. Sorry for what we did to you. 
500 years ago or 400 years ago. I don't know. They I, didn't do it. I think I think I'm similar to Mary on this. You know, I think I I, I fail to see. Maybe you 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 bring this to me, but mm-hmm. I fail to see the the big benefit of churches coming out and saying, you know, we're sorry for slavery. I right. think what what I want to see more than that, if even if that happens, what I want to see more than that is when pastors are getting to passages in the scripture that speak on uh, these types of issues. So what is man? Um, equality between different races and all those kind of things. They speak on it with a passion um, that is is keen to actually bring into the minds of people that the Bible is saying foremost here that men are made in the image of God regardless of whether they're Chinese, Japanese. Kenyan, uh, who's someone from Europe, um, then man there, Norway, <laughs> Norwegian. So I, I'm keen for that to happen because sure. that's, that's, that's what transforms people's minds when they're, they're, get, they're getting that sound theology that's enabling them to think biblically, enabling them also to live biblically. And mm-hmm. I think that has the greater impact for me than a statement where people are coming out and saying they're sorry for, I guess, their sort of role in what's happened in the past. Particularly when you can say sorry in that sense and have, I guess, no, no, no real commitment to any sort of real change. Mm. And I think that's where it comes in, where um, you have to kind of... I think if you're apologising, or at least you want to make mention or make note of things that have happened historically that have impacted people today, and I think that's where maybe you can come and say, actually, slavery does still have an impact on communities in London mm-hmm. or communities across the world, because that has directly impacted maybe... The economy of, of of that specific people and that is now something that they need to address churches for example um but i think if you just if you just want to sorry just to make people feel better then mm. it's not helpful so i mean i think the two of you brought out the point about um legacy um so what is the legacy ultimately of the transatlantic slave trade mm. does that have any implications for um enslaved peoples or the um Impressed. Descendants of enslaved people okay. as well. Sorry, um, it's interesting that you say that because some churches, some church bodies, have actually come out, mm. yeah. right, and mm. and offered apologies. So in the UK, um, and there's an inter- there's an interesting point. To this, two points almost. Um, in the UK, um, I think sometime around like 2006, the Church of England came out um, and made an actual apology um, for its its role in the transatlantic slave trade in colonialism, particularly as it affects um, um, some Caribbean islands. Mm. I'm just going to quickly read um, some of the words that Rowan Williams, who was the Archbishop at the time, said. He said, um, The body of Christ is not just a body that exists at any one time, it exists across history, and we therefore share the shame and sinfulness of our predecessors. And part of what we can do with them and for them in the body of Christ is prayerful acknowledgement of the failure that is part of us, not just of some distant them. So, I'm definitely about to join that church. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I, I said that, I thought there was two points. I think one of the things. Sorry, I've just I've I've thought about like when when conversations about slavery and the role of the church and stuff come up. Mm. We don't necessarily come from churches traditionally anyway that had roles in the transatlantic slave trade historically. So when I say that, I mean as in children of diaspora. Our churches are kind of born out of homelands. Yeah. If you understand what I'm yeah. saying. Um, if you get it, you get it. Yeah. So we don't we don't necessarily we don't necessarily um, on Shout first out, glance <laughs> we don't necessarily on first glance um, have to deal with that impact in our churches. It's not something that's necessarily um, pertinent. Texas to our in the studio on that. 
<laughs> but on the flip side, I find that like when Mary was saying earlier, sometimes antagonists like to bring up these kind of things, mm. like um, oh, but you know the the church was complicit in yeah, slavery. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find it weird how even though, for example, that's not necessarily been your experience, mm. you'll use it as a stick to beat the church over with. Mm. Um, and I guess this is why I guess we're having the conversation also about... He's bringing out your inconsistencies, guys. Yeah. <laughs> also... Um, <Be> humble, bro. <laughs> um, why, I guess it's important for us to have this conversation. I mean, yeah. there's, more, there's more to the transatlantic slave trade, mm. the church's role, than we're possible, possibly able to unpack. But yeah. I think these are some of the kinds of things that people... Um, bring up to kind of yeah like I said beat the church beat over the church's head with a stick Um, the reason why I specifically brought up the um, Rowan Williams comment um, who was the Archbishop of the Church of England at the time was because it's also happened in America so um, PCA PCA, um, also made some kind of statement of an apology we still Baptist though (laughs) (laughs) so some some kind of statement of an apology to um uh, and in admitting its role in the in the transatlantic slave trade, mm. because I guess they do recognise that there is some legacy um, yeah. of slavery. Now, the, the people have differing opinions as to really and truly yeah. what that impact is, right? Um, so some people will say, oh, you know, economic disparities between different races, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I think there's something in these church bodies looking back historically and saying. Our forefathers were wrong there. Yeah. We should address that now. It doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, we can offer reparations for the things that occurred. It could, though. <laughs> but I just think... 40 acres. <laughs> but I just think, I think there's not only something symbolic yeah. in that. Um, what it helps, I think, more generally people to do is have open dialogue about some of these conversations. Okay, so it's not taboo anymore. So it's not taboo. You know what, I think when I was giving my answer, I was thinking of it from the perspective Don't of being... Don't backtrack! What's going to happen now? <laughs> Fight pride. Um, humble. So, when I was giving my answer, I was thinking of it from the perspective of being a Christian person. Sure. Um, and I still think what I, what I think as a Christian person, that I'm more interested in what happens afterwards. I guess looking at it now, one of the benefits I think that can come out of these types of mass statements by leaders in the church mm. is the evangelistic element of it, mm. where the church are acknowledging publicly some of the things that they've done wrong in the past and are making clear that we're not in support of those things. We just recognise that those are our sins and therefore we ask you for your forgiveness and that we apologise. And I think that might open the door for a couple of people to say, you know what, this church thing... Maybe it's not anti-black. Mm. Maybe it's not, you know, anti-African. Maybe actually there's there's a place in it for me. Mm. Um, being a, in a community of people who are actually willing to take ownership, to be accountable over not only their own issues, their own sins, but the issues of those people that whose, whose lineage they walk in, I think is quite a powerful thing. Because we live in a time now where no one wants to take responsibility. Mm. You know, we got we got um, politicians saying bare things, bare <laughs> things, things. Um, so I think, I think that, I think that, that it has, it has its, it has its place, mm. um, it has its place, so. And ultimately that's a, that's a very Christian thing to do, yeah. Yeah. actually to recognise my past has been in complete disparity to what God calls of me to be, mm. to do. I confess these are the sins that I've committed and we hope to move forward from those things mm. by Christ, by Christ's help. Um, by the grace of God. So we acknowledge that 
sinful element of our previous actions and look forward to, I guess, progress in a way that is God-glorifying. Um, yeah. Which is what I think the heart behind um, some of those statements of apology were. Um, so bringing it forward to today, 2017. Present day, y'all. Um, let's try and, with Frederick Douglass's quote, is, is the Christianity of Christ compatible with the Christianity of our generation? So I mean... 2017, we're here in London. Talk to me. Yes. You think it is? The Christianity of Christ is compatible with the Christianity of our generation. Why? What part of London? I've been to some parts of London where I'm, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Um, I have to be hopeful in the sense of there's believers, you know, God mm-hmm. is still in the business of saving sinners and transforming lives. Mm. And I think there are communities and of people in local churches that have been saved and are living changed lives that impacts their colleagues, their wives, their children, mm. and makes a change, you know. Husbands to points. Yeah. Mm. So did, I, did I just say? Colleagues, wives, it's just the, it's the, it's the woman in me. <laughs> um, and I think, I, and not even just in London, like across the world, I think sure. God is, If because I feel like if we don't say that, then we're almost, it's like we're saying, okay, the gospel's true, but it doesn't have any transformation. And I think we can't say that as people that read the Bible, yeah. Very true. What do you think? So you say I don't read the Bible? <laughs> I don't know your devotional life. Wow, we're going right there, we're going right there. Um, yeah, yeah. How, how do you think about it? Repeat the question one more time. For me, one so more time. Is, is the Christianity of our generation yeah, yeah. compatible with the Christianity of Christ? I want to say yes and I want to say no at the same time. Okay, it can be a two-point um, answer. So I think, I think on the yes part, I agree with a lot of what Mary said. Um, I think, yeah, basically I'm answering that as this, is it possible to be Christian as the Bible defines it in the present day? And I yeah. say yes. Yeah. And for the reasons that Mary said, not because man now has got any better, but because the spirit of God who indwells believers is able to do what he's been commissioned to do. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I trust that. I read my Bible. You know, I read that a couple of days ago. So yeah. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Shout out Ephesians 1. Um, on the no part, I guess what this this is why I want to bring up that aspect of I guess cultural Christianity is what um, Douglas I think is able to put out um, mm. pull out quite perceptively that it is possible for things to be called Christian that aren't necessarily in accord with what biblically Christianity is and I think in that sense then the answer is no mm. um, but I think what we're seeing actually in society now is you're not getting um, cultural capital because you're saying you're Christian anymore mm. and I think what that's going to lead to is a rise and as we're seeing already of people coming out saying they're uh, agnostic uh, they're atheists or they believe in something else um, because quite frankly saying that you're Christian is not going to be one of those things that helps you to progress in your job anymore it's not cool anymore yeah um, and as, as that happens I think what's going to happen um, is I ain't a prophet but I'm speaking on it um, <laughs> I'm being <laughs> <laughs> in the spirit, y'all. Um, I think I think what's gonna happen is uh, tons of people will actually be bold enough to say, you know, what, I'm not Christian, mm. um, and I and ne- I don't think that's necessarily a bad place. I think it's I think it's a worse place to be when you think you're Christian, you're not Christian, yeah. sure, because you close your eyes, your heart to actually the truth of the message because you think I heard that. Mm. Um, Whereas when we come to a place where people come to a place and say, actually, no, you know what, I'm not Christian. 
um, the gospel comes with a freshness then I think because you're saying you're not this and when someone's presenting the gospel they're saying okay you're not this you need to become this mm. um, and I think I think I think that goes to the, the heart of you know how Christianity is able to thrive even in an anti-Christian culture um, and I so, think so I mean follow up question because you were talking about culturally defined Christianity mm. who defines that right so the man <laughs> the man, the man right, sorry. but I, I guess like more specifically like um, do you think that Shut up, the Christianity is. of our generation is being more defined by Christians or nominal Christians quote unquote mm. and unbelievers I think the latter so so, unbelievers what? Is it unbelievers I've defined it that's the latter yeah Oh, okay. I, I, I know, maybe it's because I'm speaking from a different perspective, but when I read that quote mm. by the Frederick Douglass, maybe it's just my own biases, but I was, I was wondering if he's... Obviously, he's alluding, to the fact that, <laughs> he's alluding to the fact that they should have, you know, the slave owners should have actually acknowledged what they were doing and, and changed. So, mm. And I think when people read... I think when people think about Christianity today, they think of... I think they think of, you know, feeding the poor and, you know, engaging with those around you who are disadvantaged or victimised. Mm. I think a lot of people, when they come out, they say, okay, you guys are just in your churches, just in your silos, mm. and you're not, you know, you're not helping people who are sick or poor. And I think that's all they see Christianity to be. Mm-hmm. So I think when they read that question, they say, yeah, because you guys are not doing anything, for right. example, with Black Lives Matter, or you guys are not doing anything for, you know, people who are poor or disadvantaged. Yeah, or women's rights. Yeah, women's rights. Yeah. And you're just in your own church, praying and reading the Bible. Mm. And I think maybe that's what I... First thought of when I read that quote. Right. Um, and of course, you know, the church isn't primarily in the business of doing those things. You know, its, it's main aim is to preach the gospel mm. and proclaim the good news. But I think that, I don't know if that's what, maybe I'm thinking from a, what would they, what would others people no, think? No, I get, I, get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, I mean, I don't think you were saying that Christianity, Christianity is ultimately defined by what people think about it, right? No. We, we get that, we get that from the scriptures explicitly. Mm. But like you were saying, Douglas's quote is, he's looking at it from the contemporary... Christian check. What's Christianity in a sentence? That's a good question. Put on the spot. Christianity is the belief that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they would be judged um, either for their sin or in Christ, who has imparted to them their right, his righteousness. That's hard. Listeners, let us know <laughs> whether damn you Christian. But we ain't sure. Yes. Um, um, I'm so thrown. Where were what we? are we talking about? We were there talking about, um, oh my days. Life comes at you quick. Very quickly. Especially when Kofi's starting it. Yeah. Um, so on to the next point. Um, what was the question? We no, we were talking <laughs> so before I was interrupted with the Christian check by my brother Coffee, um, we were answering the question of whether I call me Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we were answering the question of whether um, the Christianity of our generation is compatible with the Christianity of Christ, and uh, Mary was speaking about the way in which um, I'd probably say detractors um, from Christianity these days would um, say, you know, Christianity purports to tackle issues of social justice, mm. um, calls on Christians to look after the needy, the poor, um, those who are in desperate situations. Um, and I think in Douglas's time, he was saying, well, you know, these men who uh, are Christians or call themselves Christians, how can they see um, 
the parts of the Bible that speak about perhaps loving your neighbour, uh, even loving your enemies, and still commit some of these very harsh atrocities. Um, but that's the thing where I think we have to just be careful in terms of understanding people's actions. Yes, um, Christianity will have a profound impact on our practical living. Um, in the in the response to the what is Christianity question, um, I spoke about the impact of Christ's righteousness being imparted to us. And so ultimately, we are increasingly being made righteous. And so that will have a, a massive impact on the way that we live our lives, um, in our relationships, um, whether those be familial, in our working relationships, um, in the way that we even deal with issues of social justice. Yeah. Um, but we know that we're still ultimately fallen people. So it's not as if we'll do everything perfectly. So I think Douglas could look at those men and say, these things are incompatible, but we couldn't necessarily say, ah, they were Christians ultimately. And in the same way, uh, in this day and age, uh, people might look at Christianity and say, oh, but I'm not really sure if that really marries up with what I know of Christianity. From that perspective, uh, we need to investigate what they know about Christianity, quote unquote. But also we also have to recognise that um, the way in which we live, the way in which we act, the way in which we interact with society um, will, whether we want it or not, um, impact how Christianity is perceived. Point. Yeah, I like that. Facts. So beloved, at this point we're going to hear a short bite-sized theology from our brother. Hey, this is Richard of the Black Berea team, you know, and I just wanted to quickly give you some rich thoughts on that. Uh, see what I did there. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I just want to begin by saying this, you know, most, if not all, politicians lie, you know, and it's become a social norm in this kind of day and age, you know, especially when it comes to our campaigns. Uh, politicians are constantly promising things that they can't keep, that they never intended to keep, that they won't keep in the long run when the going gets tough, you know, and it's, uh, and it's, just, it's just something that we see generally amongst politicians nowadays. But this was especially true of Donald Trump. Yeah, we saw this throughout his elections. Um, and as, as lo and behold, it's actually followed him into his uh, presidency. Uh, Sean Spicer was caught lying big time. Uh, the Financial Times put out an article on it, you know, and uh, one of his administration, you know, tried to defend him, Kellyanne Conway. And she had essentially said, you know, don't, don't get all hung up over, the, over it. You know, it was just, he just gave alternative facts, you know whatever that means you know my man lied and she had the nerve to call it an alternative fact um and when it comes to these things you know like fake news like these alternative facts you know as christians uh we have to remember the objectivity of truth especially in a world that tries to make truth a mere matter of opinion you know uh, the fact that god is true uh, let god be true and every man a liar uh, the fact that christ is the way the truth and the life means that Truth actually carries moral ramifications, you see, because God is good, you know. Uh, so truth actually carries moral ramifications. So when, uh, the more we actually compromise on the objectivity of truth, the more we actually blur these lines of morality. And this doesn't just stay within the political sphere, but it also comes into theology, for example. So when it comes to, uh, you know, like people have Bible studies, I saw this all the time, you know, back in the day, that people would have Bible studies that they, you know, they would read a text and that people, one person would say, you know, what do you think this means? And what do you think this means? And even though the two people have said two things that completely contradict one another, they'll just agree that they're both true, you know? Or they'll say, yeah, you have your opinion and I have mine. But what you have to realize is that ultimately, you know, 
there's one truth, right? <laughs> there's one truth. One person is ultimately right, uh, or none of them, right? But 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 there's there's ultimately one appropriate, one faithful, one true understanding of the text. And though that truth may have many applications, and though it may have many ramifications for your life and many applications to your life, it is all there's ultimately only one truth. Uh, so as one man said, you know, we have to realize that the truth matters, especially when we're on the receiving end of a lie, you know, so, so when it comes to these things, as Christians especially, we can't lose our devotion to truth, because ultimately, if we do, we're left to be no better than the politicians who fully declare and embrace these lies. So, uh, so yeah, this is Richard, and I just wanted to give you some, uh, some, some, some quick thoughts and, and something I came across during the week. And now I just want to hand back over to the Blackberry team, and I hope you're enjoying the show and that. Cool. What's up, guys? We're back. How about that? <laughs> Catch us inside. How about that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about a recent controversy actually coming from Oxford University. Um, if you haven't heard about it, it features a black student by the name of Femi Nylander, who was a former activist for the Roads Must Fall movement at Oxford University. Um, he recently went to visit a friend at Harris Manchester College in Oxford, and unfortunately got locked inside the college grounds. Now, Harris Manchester College sent out an email with CCTV footage of the graduate walking through the college and warned students to remain vigilant as he might be a danger to their wonderful and safe environment. Uh, Femi has since written an article in The Guardian where he felt that his situation was more emblematic of a more widespread um, criminalization of black men, both at Oxford University and in British society. What do you guys think about that? Um, so I think in short I agree with Nylander's like big comment you know saying that this is a widespread issue um, I could flesh that out I will flesh that out but I won't flesh that out now uh, Mary can give us a short answer do you agree with Nylander or you think he's chatting something I don't know I think reading the article at first Mary can give us a <laughs> short answer <laughs> a short answer okay yes I agree with Nylander's thank you Mary uh, do you want to flesh that out now? Oh, we're not going to ask Danny what he thinks. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you yes guys what I, I think. I'll, oh. I'll chime in, I'll chime in. But I'm, I'm keen to hear you guys. So, my thoughts? Please. Um, I don't know, I think Thank reading you. the article, especially from Amin uh-huh. Alanda, as he's a Oxford grad, yeah. he's not someone who the media would represent as just Come on. someone on the streets, a thug, True. Um, you know, not doing anything. Shut like, up. He was actually someone who was dead. What? <laughs> You're tripping. You're what? tripping. <laughs> what? He was someone who was an Oxford grad back in Oxford to live and to work and to really do something that would, you know, benefit society. But, you know, they were still able to present him as someone who was there for criminal behaviour. And I think that's really sad. And even when you read the article, you almost get the sense from Femi that this isn't the first time that he's experienced this. Mm. Or people around him, similar mm. race or Asian. And I think that is very, very sad. And it shows what the media can do. And almost the stereotypes and the biases that we can take from the media. I think one of the things that, you know, straight away caught me in the article was there's no past president of any of the Oxford campuses doing, or colleges rather, doing anything like this, where they actually send out a CCTV image. And I think I also read that this was commonplace, you know, people would get locked out and, you know, it was just a thing that happened. So what makes this issue any different for what has gone, gone before it? That's, that's what's in my mind. And mm. the fact that he's a black man and he's put out on CCTV, I think just says something, yeah, that, you yeah. know, 
black is perhaps dangerous. Black is not necessarily innocent. There's something uh, untoward about being black. And that's the message that is out there in the media. And I think this just goes to reinforce it. So probably the person who did it, you know, was trying to just do their day job, go home to their wife and kids or go home to their husband and kids or whatever, or go home to their, you know, cat. And <laughs> why a cat? Why not a dog? And go home to their hamster and go home to their dog. Um, and, and didn't even actually think of this consciously as something that they're doing that could potentially be uh, understood as uh, a, a racist, um, what's that, microaggression. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that that's one of the wider issues, actually, that in people's ignorance when they're subconscious, that they, they begin to uh, evidence behaviours that are actually a form of racism. Um, and I think that that's that's the, that's the wider issue that I think black men in particular are facing, where the media has its onslaught, but behind that onslaught is the way it's influencing people's minds to see black people in a particular way, and black men as aggressive, black men as thuggish, black men as, I guess the 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 opposites of the virtues that you want in a man. Yeah, that unconscious bias. True. True. But Shout out SEO. <laughs> um, if if let's say Femi Nylander was there for criminal activity yeah does this does what does what they did change is it okay if you yeah okay you know what yeah i think because let's say you know they put a cctv out they catch femi and he's rubbing i don't know people's apartments now do we still look at it the same i i think i think if he's caught in the action yeah if my man's caught in the action then i do you think, know him do you, do you, are you guys friends have you met femi before we're in the struggle, bro. <laughs> yeah. struggle you ain't listening. So I think I think if my man's in that situation where he's been caught, I think it's a, it's a different it's a different ball game. I think at that point, if they were to release a CCTV image, maybe not even one that shows him in the act, but an image of him so they can catch him, I think that's a different issue because there he's shown himself to be a criminal. Okay. Um, now, in terms of what is put out into the media, I still think that's important because what we have is that you know remember what happened with Mark Duggan that that image that was cut halfway. Mm. When you look at it, the full picture, he's ca- I think he's carrying a wreath or something. Yeah, he's he's at, at his, do, I think it's his daughter's funeral. Yeah, at a funeral. So obviously this guy's mourning, but when you see the picture, what you see is a guy who looks or who's been made to look aggressive, who's been made to look uh, to to fit the the character type for the profile they wanted him to have. Mm. Now, I think if if we're putting out some form of image of Nyland, I think what we've got to do is, until we can actually ascertain why he did even the actions, put out an image of him that is him at his best, is him that doesn't make him seem guilty before due process has happened. So even then, I wouldn't put out the CCTV image of him, but I would say that's a different issue. Mm. I mean, I don't. I I take the perspective that actually, like we said, the security person who sent this stuff out. um, I don't necessarily think there's a racial animus in their mind. Um, I think they could have sent out something that said, "Guys, please be vigilant about who you're letting into the campus. Be mindful of the fact that we want to maintain a safe environment, and not have sent a picture." Mm. I think that would have been well enough just to remind students of the fact of their responsibilities in taking care of the environment they're in. But the minute that you send out some CCTV um, with somebody who, who seemed to be quite, you know, um, uninvolved in anything in particular, um, seemed to just be passing through the campus grounds, through the college grounds, rather, um, then that's what gives rise to these suspicions of 
um, institutional bias, institutional racism, particularly in the event that it's never happened um, before. Yeah. Um, some of the other things that he brought out in the article about wider British society, I didn't go to Oxford, so I can't necessarily speak about Oxford University. Where did you go? University, which I shouldn't have said. <laughs> We, we keeping this on the Fine. Got him. No, I don't know. Keep it on, keep it on. Catch him outside. Yeah, you gotta catch me outside. You gotta catch his hands. Actually, no, she's not going to. Because Christians do not do that kind of stuff. Um, rather, um, Unless it's self-defense. <laughs> Shout out, Kirk. I am so finished. I am so done. Um... He, he also put in his article, he made reference to um, some of these statistics about things like stop and search. Um, so in certain areas of the UK, black men are 17 times more likely to be stopped and searched mm. than white people. Um, despite the fact that they were only 3% of the population, mm. make up 14% of the prison population. That is sad. Um, and went on to speak about, you know, our underrepresentation in higher education. So there are, I think there is, uh, to, to, to my mind, only... 14? 14 female black professors something like that yeah um, it's small in it? it it's small and we also heavily populate mental health institutions um and so his his you know his perspective is that well when these all when these statistics are bounded about we're made to look lazy mentally ill criminal stupid um and actually these things are not indicative of black people black culture mm. um, do you think that that's purely media portrayal I think it's a chicken and egg sort of situation like who comes first and that kind of thing because what you have is uh, the media putting out an image and then people acting on that particular image and then that becoming reinforced in people's minds so what you have black guys are aggressive are disobedient are don't respect authority that kind of thing um, now, if you start to disproportionately now in acting on that information that you're given in the media as, let's say, police, and you start now harass- harassing black men, and you find out of a number of those people that you just keep stopping for, I guess, rubbish reasons, that a number of them maybe perhaps were doing crimes, that leads to the statistics being skewed in a particular direction. Not because black people are necessarily more prone to crime, but because mm-hmm. they're being stopped in higher proportions you're going to find more criminals. In the same that if you stopped white people in higher proportions, you would find more criminals. But then the statistics come out and it says something to the effect of this many black people, this many black men are in prison, these many black men have been stopped, these many black men have been found with this, and so on and so forth. Then that goes again. So if we're finding this many people, then there must be a problem with that community, then we carry on again. So that chicken and the egg, the media starts something, people act on it, and because of what they find from what they act on it, it carries on going in that big cycle. Um, so one of the other interesting things to come out of um, Nylander's article in The Guardian uh, was about his experience of racial bias and exclusion during his university undergraduate study. Um, he spoke about his time on a PPE course, which is philosophy, politics and economics. And he said that he felt that um, <clears throat> some markers didn't seem to believe that African philosophy was philosophy. Now, in the church, I think we've been having conversations recently about um, the exclusion of African black um, thought from um, theological circles and how that has impacted the, the development of theology over, over time. 
and in church history. Um, do you think this is um, a problem that we as Black Berea can address? Um, or more generally, do there need to be more discussions concerning theology that involve people of colour, black people specifically? Mary, you got thoughts on this? <laughs> I haven't really thought of this question. Um, Spontaneity is <laughs> Thinking on the go. Um, I think there definitely has to be, especially what we were speaking about earlier in the podcast, about people, people acknowledging wrong and rectifying it. And I think maybe one of the ways that we can rectify or at least try and harmonise, you know, racial um, conflict or tension is by allowing people of colour opportunities, either in writing or in, in learning and developing their theology or even know more of the scriptures. Um, and I think it's a shame that Oxford, which is like one of the great institutions, didn't see African philosophy as philosophy. I think that that almost shows a sense of not even ignorance, but uh, seeing Africa as lesser than lesser than the Western society. Um, but I think there has to be more of a. I just got to say that's that's probably not Oxford official position. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I think that was, it is. So guess that what? Was, that was Nyla's comments on. <laughs> oh, that's true. His, his, Sorry, his, that's, true. that's how you get. Yeah, you. That's how you get fake news. <laughs> but yeah, I think there has to be more done. Shout out, Spider. <laughs> there has to be more done to allow for racial reconciliation and also to allow for, you know, people of colour to have their voices heard. Um, and I, I don't know how that will do, be done because that's almost like a local church by a local church. So I'm almost saying that if you are if you go to a church that's diverse, that let's say the leader is white, that he should do as much as he can to encourage the black people in this church to have a voice and to write and to... No, that's not necessarily what I'm saying, sorry. Um, the, the question is more the question is more aligned to saying how can black people now influence help to shape theology um, because historically they've been excluded in mainstream philosophy and also in developing theology we're asking now is it time for us to have more in, more discussions about theology as black people to see that how we can influence for example a theology of race and we know that there are pertinent issues affecting black and white people but obviously we have a perspective that can help to inform a theology of race for example so it's more about getting involved in those discussions that may lend itself to writing publishing books um, setting up christian universities where there is academic theological discourse um, so shout out to body Bokum in zambia and uh, the African Christian University there that they're trying to build and those kind of things Um, Kofi Um, I mean I agree with the sentiments that have been you know expressed so far I think it's one of those issues where at a local level I think pastors need to be informed by the theology that they're actually espousing so in their minds they've got to be convinced of the fact that you know um, all men were made in the image of God and all men you know different tongues tribes nations are going to be saved and will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and will be studying the scriptures, and will come to understand uh, various areas of the scriptures. 
um, with, with with incredible light. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily more black people. That's not necessarily more white people. But it's just been open to the fact that this will happen across different races. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, what you've got to do as a pastor when you're trying to be faithful to the Lord and faithful to the text He's given you to to preach, you want to use the best resources out there. And I think, in my mind, that what we've seen so far maybe hasn't been that uh, active effort to engage with things beyond one particular tradition Mm. um, in terms of trying to get to the heart of um, exegeting particular passages. And I think as pastors are informed by what I've just mentioned, that understanding of race, that will translate hopefully into pastors now looking into a plethora of different materials, commentaries and so on. Um, And that can inform people's minds in the church when they're listening to what they're listening to um, coming from the pulpits and that can lead a new generation of people you know um i think if, if you hear for example that someone like augustine one of the, the 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 pillars of the church really was was an african man mm. um that says something to you as a, as a as a young black christian um in terms of where you want to where where you want to aspire when you're thinking of being an elder you look you have you have i guess a hero in the faith to look to you have an example that's gone before you. And those kind of things can be inspiring. You can get that happening. And then what will happen, hopefully, increasingly, is that they'll become more and more black leaders in the church, pastors, elders, who'll be preaching the word of God faithfully, mm. but in the context within which God has brought them. And I think that's, that's where we want to get to. Um, it's not necessarily changing things so that it's now uh, the white race being um, subjugated to the black race, but it's parity. Uh, it's equality. That's what we want to get to. And I think ultimately um, that will come in the next world, but we strive towards it in this one. Well, I think it's happening gradually. I think there are more um, authors and writers, whether they be pastors, um, are actually speaking about these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of them are black, um, and now they're being given the opportunities to. Um, but they are writing on theology of race. They are writing on how our race um, impacts our culture or, and impacts our Christianity. Um, I think people have to be encouraged to, to speak up and do more of these things. Mm. Um, but I think it, the benefits of the internet is that now we have access to people in Zambia now, or in Nigeria or in Ghana, who are able to write on these things and also have access to be published and for us to read it. Mm. For sure. Word. Well, that brings um, an end to our first Blackberry podcast. Thank you for listening. Do let us know what you think about it. Send us your questions, feedback, things that you want to hear us talk about. Um, we hope to be here again in two weeks with our next edition of the Black Barrio Podcast. Episode two. Episode two. Please, 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 please shout us on uh, what we were asking about whether Dan was a Christian. Let's know. That's we need really to know. Because we can go down to five, guys. <laughs> we can go down to five. Appreciate that. So I'm Kingsley. Mary. Well, she I'm Mary. Mary. <laughs> that, that is Mary. I'm Dami. And this is Black Barrio. Take care.